Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Uh, Today we're kicking off our series, Emotional Damage, and at the end of service, we're going to be remembering uh, Christ's sacrifice as we're taking communion, so let's make sure not to rush out of here uh, as we are are remembering that. But we're kicking off this series today, Emotional Damage, kind of sorting through these different emotions that we all deal with. Now, I'll be the first to admit I'm a little emotional. Uh, If you uh, have ever seen me speak and you're like, is something going on? He always cries. Uh, There's like two areas in my life that, that choke me up, and it's talking about Jesus, and it's talking about my family. And so those are two areas that I am unapologetically uh, passionate about. And those aren't the emotions we're talking about. I should be able to make it through today without uh, crying. If you're like, man, just go ahead and pass the money if you're betting on somebody, whether you choke up or whatever. Like, no, no, no. Like, I, I should make it through. So um, you should be safe. But, you know, uh, we're not talking about these things that we're really passionate about. We're talking about these emotions that, if left unchecked, can cause damage to ourselves and to, to others. Like, we're talking about anxiety. We're talking about fear. We're talking about guilt. We're talking about these things um, that can wreak havoc on our lives if, if we're not careful. And, and now, God has given us emotions, but a lot of times we are guided more by our emotions um, than we are the truth of God's word. And emotions are, are a great gauge you know, to how you're feeling, um, but they're a terrible guide. And so how do we live our lives not guided by our emotions, but by guided by who God is? If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 today. Uh, it's available. We'll have the sermon notes on the screen and on our app as well under the sermon notes. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 24, going through verse 33, and it says this, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, God, thanking you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear, um, open up our eyes to see what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. So we're looking at this passage in Matthew chapter 14, and you're probably, you've heard this story, you're familiar with this story, and you're probably thinking, okay, they're going to talk about fear today, right? We're going to talk about fear, but um, you'd be wrong. You'd be close, but I think fear is, is more of a, a symptom that there's a, probably a deep, deeper-rooted issue that's going on here, because Jesus said something to Peter. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't say, why were you afraid? He said, why did you doubt? And so the, uh, the dictionary defines doubt like this, to call into question the truth of, to be uncertain, to lack confidence in. Um, the way it's used here in the Bible, it's this idea of second guessing, uh, wavering. And not second guessing like someone's about to do something stupid, and you're like, hey, you might want to second guess that thought real quick, like slow your roll. But second guessing what we know to be true. 
Um, and I mentioned this earlier that I love my family. I love when my family comes over. I love when we all get together. Uh, my mom lives here in Tulsa, my dad in Oklahoma City. I have a twin sister that lives in Springfield, Missouri, and an older sister that lives in Piedmont. And so I don't know about you, but our get-togethers revolve around food. Anyone else? It's like, hey, this is when we're going to eat, right? This is, that's like the, that's the time to be there. But there's always this open invitation. Come on over whenever you want. We're eating at noon. And so when I see my sister, my older sister, who lives in Piedmont, text and be like, yeah, okay, we'll be there at noon, I doubt. Like, doubt creeps into my heart. Um, because I've known her for 37 years. I've, I've seen her track record of being on time. My dad's in here somewhere. He can attest to this, that when, when my older sister tells me that she is going to be at our house at noon, we're lucky if she gets there by like three. And so, um, so I doubt. I've seen her track record uh, of what she does. But today we're not talking about doubting in ourselves. We're not talking about doubting in other people. We're talking about something much deeper. We're talking about um, this wavering of our faith that's causing us to doubt in who God is. Um, and, and Jesus, remember, he said, he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt you know, and there's, there's a lot of emotions that can come up if we have this unstable faith, if we, if we waver in our faith, if we doubt. So we see Peter in this example that this doubt caused him to fear. Now, fear is mentioned a lot in the New Testament, and a lot of times it's not even mentioned in a negative way. It's mentioned over 100 times in a way that's, that's almost encouraged. Uh, Paul was afraid that the Thessalonians had, had been led astray in 1 Thessalonians 3. He was afraid. He said, I'm, I'm afraid that you've been led astray by this other gospel. We read in Acts chapter five that great fear came over the believers when Ananias and Sapphira lied and cheated, cheated God and, and God struck them dead for it. Like great fear arose. Uh, we read in Colossians three that believers are to fear the Lord. And this type of fear is, is okay. It's encouraged that there is a reverence and an awe of who God is. Um, but that's not the fear that Peter experienced because there's a different type of fear that we need to be aware of, and it's found in like first or Second Timothy 1.7, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and of self-control. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, similar language in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 40. He said to them, oh, uh, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Uh, Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the fear that is a cowardly fear that causes us to give way under pressure and persecution. This is the fear that comes up when we have weak faith. Um, we look at, at things like anxiety and worry that comes from a shaky and wavering faith. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen to this language that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter six. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing, considering the lilies of the field, how they grow? They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. We look at a verse like Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, 
says the Lord. And these things that we see that when we start to doubt, when we start to waver on whether God is going to hold up his end of the bargain can cause us to fear, can cause us to be anxious, can cause us to stress out, can cause us um, to want to get angry and lash out instead of trusting in who God is. And so we see that so many of these other emotions are just fruit that are sprouting up from the seed of doubt, this wavering of our faith. Um, you know, we look at, at these things, and it's common for believers. Like, it's common. We look at this happening to Peter, the apostle, the one who, who had enough faith to get out and walk on the water, the one who Jesus said, upon you will I build my church. This apostle still had this wavering of faith. And so I, what I want us to do is I want us to stop viewing ourselves as these super Christians that, are, that aren't susceptible to these thoughts of doubts and realizing, okay, when these thoughts of doubts creep in, what, is, what, what do I do? How do I handle this doubt? How do I deal with doubts? It's something that's common. Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He kind of answers the question as he's asking the question. Why did you doubt? Not because you lacked faith, but because your faith was too small. He says, oh, you who has a little measure of faith, a small measure of faith. That doubt isn't an absence of faith, but it's, it's, a, it's an unstable faith. And so we're going to look at a couple of different ways how we can overcome doubt. The first way that I think we overcome doubt is that we lean on the church, that we lean on the church. And this is an area where the church, um, for the most part, has really failed. Um, and I'm not talking about staff. I'm talking about all of us, all of us, um, that we've failed because we don't understand that each of us is a part of a body, that the church is a body of believers. It's a, it's a body of people who have expressed faith, who have committed their life to Christ. This is what the church comprises of, and Christ is the head of that church. And we each have a role to play. We look at Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. He's saying, hey, just like my physical body, I've got a brain, and I've got a heart, and I've got fingers, and I've got toes, and my kneecaps don't same, serve the same punk, uh, function as my appendix, right? That, that each part of my body serves a, a specific purpose, and this is how it is in the body of Christ. And he goes on to give these examples. He says... Um, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in the one who teaches in teaching, in the one who uh, uh, exhorts in his exhortation, in the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Can I tell you that we do not follow Christ on an island? That it's not you and Jesus doing your own thing, that you are a part of a body. And that you have a role to play in this body. That, that people who, who shop around and look for churches, oh, I'm church shopping. I get where you're coming from, but at some point you got to connect to a local body. At some, at some point you've got to connect. Why? Because you have a gifting and a calling that God has given you specifically. Why? For the building up and edification of other believers. And, this, and this, is, this is to build unity in the church, and it's to love one another, um, and it's for the benefit of the church, but it's also a testimony to the world and to glorify God. This is what Jesus prays in John 17. 
and that we failed. We, we failed because we, we think of church as this place that we come to and not a body that we belong to. That it's, it's not some place that we come from Sunday from 10.30 to 11.30, noon, and then we check it off our box, but it is a body that we belong to. And we overcome this doubt by leaning on one another. I'm gonna get into this passage that might seem a little random, um, but I want you to stick with me. If, if you've uh, attended any of our midweek uh, series um, then, then you might know where I'm going, but I'm not too worried about that because it's like 20 of you. Um, we want to go deeper. Cool, show up to midweek. What? Sorry, that's my passive aggressiveness coming out. My apologies, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, I'm not mad, I promise. Um, James chapter five, verses 13 and, uh, through 15. We're gonna be looking at more at 14 and 15. Um, and it says this, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. How many of you guys have heard this verse? Yes, probably fairly familiar with it. Raymond's right down the road, so I'm sure a lot of you guys, let's just pray and everything's gonna be great. But um, now, let me, let me stop right here before I get into this because I don't want someone to think that I don't believe God can heal or doesn't heal. I absolutely 100% believe that God can and still does the miraculous today, okay? So that's not where I'm going at all. Um, I pray for my son to be healed every day. I ask other people to pray for him. And if I didn't believe that, then I wouldn't waste my time praying that. Your will be done, right? I pray for my son to be healed, but I understand that God works in ways that I don't understand. But I still pray because I believe that God can heal. And so what I wanna do with this passage is maybe flip the coin to the other side and, and maybe show this passage in a little bit broader context that maybe we not, not be fully aware of. So we're looking at this passage in James, and we, we read this, we come to this uh, verse 14, it says, any among you sick. Now this word sick is the Greek word osteneho, and it's used about 32 times in the New Testament. Um, about 18 of those times, we read it a lot with, when Jesus is healing the sick. Um, and so our range of sick is pretty wide. It's like you could have the sniffles, or you could be like terminally ill, right? That it, it's a wide range of sickness. Um, and it's used several times in the New Testament that way. It's also used about 14 times uh, to describe people who are spiritually weary and spiritually weak, um, that their faith is, is wavering. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and then Romans chapter 14, verses one and two. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is, better, is more blessed to give than to receive. That word weak there is the same word for sick in James chapter five, Romans chapter 14, verses one and two. Ask for the one who is weak, osteneho in faith, sick in faith. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So you've got these two, this, this one word being used for two different meanings here, that we've got physical sickness and we've got like the spiritual weariness. What's really interesting is, in, can we put that verse in James back up on the screen? The, the word sick in verse 14 is different than the word sick in verse 15. You're like, they, say, they both say sick, but we have to remember the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek, and so sometimes some things get a little bit lost in translation. That word sick in verse 15 is this Greek word komno. It's used three times in the New Testament, and each time it's used, it's in reference to someone who is spiritually weak. So why are we talking about this? Hebrews 12, three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary, sick, 
were faint-hearted. Revelation 2.3, I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I thought we were supposed to be talking about doubt. What is going on here, Michael? Have you ever heard someone say, hey, don't take me out of context? Right? You want to you hear the entirety of the conversation, the entirety of what was being said so that you get the full picture of that conversation? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Let me give you some context with the book of James. James wasn't written to Foundations Church in 2023. <gasps> what? Why? Oh. Right? I hate to break it to you. It was written to a group of dispersed, persecuted, beaten down, imprisoned believers in the year 40 to 45 A.D., wasn't written to us. These are believers who have seen their friends executed, their family members are imprisoned, they're having to leave their hometowns because of the persecution that's happening in that first century. This is the context who it's being written to. James 5, in particular, starts out in context talking about how to endure persecution. And then James goes into this passage, is any among you sick? Now, were there physically ill people? Probably. But let's look at the bigger picture. Are there people who are spiritually weary after being beaten down and hunted down and imprisoned and persecuted and praying for reprieve and it never coming? Can you guys see maybe the context of this? That is, that is any one of you spiritually sick? Is your faith hurting let the, the elders of the church lay hands on them, anointing them with oil. What's the deal with oil? In the Old Testament, oil was used to sanctify things and set them apart for a special purpose. So what, what are the elders doing? They're, they're anointing these people with oil, reminding them, hey, you've been set apart, that you are God's child. Do not let your faith grow weary or sick, but be encouraged and be healed and that their sins will be forgiven. What could the sin be? It could be a weariness and a, a weakness, a wavering in their faith. Again, I'm not tearing down the fact that God does the miraculous. I want to paint a broader picture of what might be going on here in context. And maybe we start to relate a little bit with that. We say, yeah, I've, and I've, I've been praying and praying and praying and, and nothing. My faith is starting to get weary. And I'm starting to doubt. I'm starting to struggle. And this is where we've missed it as a church because it takes both parties involved here. It takes one party to admit that they're weak. But in today's culture, no, 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 I'm strong enough, right? I'm, more, I'm capable, I can, do all, right? I can do all things, right? I'm, I'm, I'm man enough, right? I'm gonna fix this on my own. And we don't wanna admit that our faith is wavering, that there's doubt. But it also takes those spiritually mature, those elders to come alongside and to lift each other up. That we're called to be the hands and feet of Christ and that when someone says, help me, Sometimes God's answer to a prayer is other believers lifting you up. But we failed. We failed. We come in here and we, we listen to, to some songs and, and we raise our hands and we listen to a message for 30 minutes and then we go home never connecting to the body. Never connecting to a connect group because I just don't have time for that. I got games and, oh, that Sunday night's my only free night, and we don't want to see the benefit of being better together. It's not something we just say. It's something that we believe because we are a body of Christ, and when one part of the body suffers, the rest suffer. Amen. I have back issues that flare up every now and then, and it's like, it's super painful. 
Like my body is literally, will be literally contorted and I could lay in bed and it's painful for me to roll over like to my side. Like I have to just like stay in one spot. It's miserable. And so what do I do? I put ice on it. Um, I go to the chiropractor, right? I stretch it out. I do whatever I can to make sure that my back gets healed as fast as it can because it's affecting the rest of me. You don't follow Christ on an island. You're a part of the body. And that when one part of the body suffers, we should come alongside and encourage and build up one another. How do you overcome doubt? You've got to admit that you have a problem. You've got to let other people come alongside you and remind you who God is. You've got to let people of strong faith come alongside you and carry that burden for you. Church, this is what we've got to be doing. This is one way that we overcome our doubts. But the ultimate way that we overcome our doubt, that anyone overcomes their doubts, um, it's, it, leaning on the church is totally insufficient if people in the church aren't looking to the I am, right? That's, that's, this is the way that any of us are able to overcome our doubt. This is the first step. You're like, why didn't you do that? Because I wanted a good ending. That's why I waited to the last part to put this part, right? This is how we all overcome our doubt is by looking to the I am. What was Peter's downfall in the situation, in the boat? What he started looking at? The waves, He's walking, he's looking at Jesus, but what catches his attention and where does his focus go is the storm. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He starts to sink. Hebrews 12 tells us to do something. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let, let us lay aside every weight and sin that which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What do we do? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that we are called to run a race. And this race isn't a sprint. Hey, if I just try hard enough, I can make it. No, 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 it's a marathon where we have to push through some pain. We have to push through some difficulties. We have to push through some weak points. And, and how do we do that? We turn our eyes to Jesus. Some people be like, following Jesus is the easiest thing I've ever done, and they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter seven, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Which way is easy? Sounds to me like the easy path is the one that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those are few who find it. How in the world, I gotta run a race and it's a difficult race, it's on a narrow path, how can anyone be saved? We turn our attention, we turn our gaze and we turn our eyes to Jesus. Some of you guys are like, I just want three steps to overcoming doubt. Okay, uh, come up with a plan, be confident and surround yourself with positive people. I don't know. I don't know. What's funny is you're laughing, but so many times, like, We'll listen to preachers or we'll, or we'll hear things and we'll be like, ooh, that's good. That's really good. And we have to understand it's not behavior modification. It's not just implementing a few steps in our life. That is a transformative work that God does on our hard hearts. Right? That you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. This is something that only comes from God and until he breaks your hearts and makes you aware of your need for him. Like only then, only then are you able to keep your eyes on Jesus. Only then are you able to keep your eyes on the I am. 
Because what happens when we say, hey, I just want three steps to becoming a good Christian. Guess what? I could put some scriptures and give you some good steps to overcoming doubt, but I could neuter the gospel and the power of it by saying, hey, no, here's some, let me proof text this and say, here's this verse, right? And here's this verse. And I neuter the gospel because I take away the power of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which what is the gospel? It's that Christ died for us. I'm not ashamed of that because in that is the power to save. But we want, I just want three easy steps and I just want some scriptures to back up my thought process. In the, in the process, we, we neuter the gospel. Man, until you're aware of your need for Jesus, until God has broken you, only then are you able to fix your eyes on him. Only then are you going to turn to him because in the meantime, if you're looking for things for you to do, you're gonna say, all right, if I can do this, if I can do that, and I can do this, then I'll be good. Can I tell you that I am a failure, that I am, insu- that I am insufficient, that I am not enough? That's what I am. So I don't look to myself. I don't look at what Michael can do. No, 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 no. Because when that happens, I'm gonna start looking here, and I'm gonna notice my deficiencies here, and my weakness here, and I'm gonna start to sink. And so I keep my eyes focused on Jesus. When, when Moses was in the wilderness, excuse me, he came, out, he came across this burning bush in Exodus chapter three. And after some conversation, he realizes who it is that he's speaking with. And so Moses knows that he's talking to God and, and God is calling him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And so he's like, okay, so who do I tell them is sending me? And in Exodus chapter three, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. I am what? Man, this phrase I am is, is speaking of his eternal power, his omnipotence, his, his immutability, his, unability, his, his inability to change characteristic, that he is who he is, that there has never been a time where he did not exist, that he is the eternal one, that he, he can't become more holy, that any of his perfections cannot be subtracted from or added to, that I am who I am. Jesus uses some similar language in the Gospels. In John chapter 8, verses uh, 58 through 59, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is using the same language that God used in the burning bush. That he's, he's making claim of this, uh, this, this power. And how do I know that? Because the Pharisees wanted to kill him for it. They're like, blasphemy. This guy's a heretic. He's saying, I am. Only God is, I am. Exactly. They missed it. They missed it. In the Greek, it's this, this verbiage, ego ami. Ego and me, why am, why am I saying that? Because in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus says this. When the disciples cry out in fear, he says this, he says, take heart, it is I. In the Greek, it says, take heart, I, it is I am. Do not be afraid. Peter starts to sink when his, his focus shifts from the storm or, you know, from, from the I am to the storm. And he doesn't have enough faith that he truly is standing with the I am. 
that I am enough, that I am where your attention should be, that I am your source of strength, that I am your salvation, that I am all that you need, Peter. Stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking at what's going on around you. Man, and that's, that's some of us, is we don't have enough faith that we're standing with the I am, that he is the one that is holding us, that he is the one that is carrying us. And so what do we do? We repent. We say, Lord, save me. We do what Peter did. Lord, save me. And it says immediately, Jesus did what? He pulled him up. That's what our response should be. God, my faith is wavering. My faith is weak. Lord, save me. We have the same response as this father did in Mark chapter 9. When he's asking Jesus to heal his son. He said, he said, heal my son if you can. And Jesus goes, whoa, what do you mean, if I can? Anything's possible for those who believe. And the father says in Mark 9, 24, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help this weakness of my faith. Help this part of me that's struggling. It'd be really weird if I, if I told my wife, I said, hey, babe, I love you, but help this part of me that doesn't love you. It'd be really weird. She'd be like, I will help you find an apartment. That'd be like, that's probably... <laughs> what she would say to me. But God doesn't respond the way a spouse does. Lord, save me, pulls him up. Lord, help my unbelief, heals the son. Man, that needs to be our, our cry, is that when we start to look at the waves, God, save me. We start to doubt, God, save me. We start to fear, God, save me. Help my unbelief. Anxiety creeps in, God, God save me. God, save me. It's really interesting that, that when Jesus gets back in the boat with Peter, the disciples say, the storm stops, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, without a doubt, you are the Son of God. And I, I know that's guilty. I wait for the storms to stop, and I'm like, oh, you are the Son of God. You truly are the son of God. I should, I, should, I never, you never had a question. Why were you sinking when the storm was going on? Right, can, can we just start to keep our eyes on Jesus? Can we start to keep our eyes and not wait until the storm stops to say, yep, you're, you're God. Can we say that in the storm? Can we say that like when, when we're struggling and say, no, 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 you are, I am. You are all that I need. And that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, our strength, our, our faith begins to be strengthened and this doubt begins to dissolve and we are able to come alongside and be the hands and feet of Jesus and pulling others up, being the church and lifting them up and bringing our stronger faith alongside them and saying, come on, let's go. Come on, you're not done. This is what we do. This is what we do as a church that we encourage, we build up one another, and we do that by keeping our eyes on the I am. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, God, thanking you, God, that you are more than enough, that you are all that we need. God, I pray that you would remind us of that. God, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would build us up. God, as we keep our eyes focused on you. 
We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.